0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. We're all so used to putting our information on the internet that it's hard to remember that major corporations are benefiting from this behavior. In the music sphere, many sites don't allow artists to access and own their own data, such as the email addresses of their fans. But one company is out to change all that. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Saban president of the independent record label, Kill Rock Stars. Support for the future of what comes from MerchTable. Since 2002, MerchTable has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting MerchTable.com. On today's show, we turn a spotlight on Cash Music, a company that exists to allow artists to control their own data and their own income. It's all coming up on the future of what Can I have a taste of your ice cream Can I lift the crumbs from your table Can I interfere in your crisis No mind your own business Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange You're listening to the Future of What We're talking to Maggie Vale of Cash Music Maggie welcome to the Future of What Thank you Excited to be here. Yay! I love in-person interviews. It's much more fun than, <laughs> than staring out the window while I talk to somebody on the phone. Yeah, I bet so. <laughs> so, I'm excited that we are talking to you, and it's perfect timing because you were the vice assistant, executive vice president. We were president co-executive, directors. co-executive directors. executive directors. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: which was a very Prior. generous title that Jesse Von Doom gave me. He was the founder of Cash and right. he brought me in six years ago and sort of immediately gave me that title, which is something he'd been doing for four years previously without me. And I was like, are you sure you want to?
0: <laughs> He's like,
1: no, we're going to be partners, which we were in different ways. But I think, yeah, it's a, it's a big step up to be doing it alone for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. So this is good timing to talk yes. to you. It is. So obviously, I think the number one thing we need to talk about is what is cash? Exactly. What do you guys do? Right. So lay it on us.
1: Okay. So we are a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to help artists become sustainable in the digital age. So we do that in a couple of different ways, the main being that we build open source digital tools, and we have a platform of those tools. Basically, it's everything you need to connect directly to your audience from your own website. So it's not like a centralized site like a Bandcamp or anything, but it's tools like a physical and digital shopping cart for free, email for a download collection. So in the case of Run the Jewels, they use that tool to give away their album for free and in exchange get an email address. Right There's tour date management. We have a really large venue database. Windish, were very nice to sort of give that to us. And then we have things like, you know, fan club stuff where you can log in. There's all sorts of small little tools when you log in there and in the the platform. And, oh my gosh, I'm rambling. Sorry.
0: No, no. Keep (laughs) keep rambling.
1: This is how we learn. But yeah, so there's, there's things like social feeds. So you can pull in, you know, your Tumblr and your Twitter. You can pull in many different conversations that are happening with Twitter. You can do a hashtag and have that come in directly to your website. There's all sorts of fun ways you can utilize the tools. Right. But yeah, the idea is to To take the basic layer of music technology and make it free and open
0: and give it away as a resource. Right. So artists would be using this on their own website. Yes. So an artist would have to have a website. Yes. And then they would have to utilize these tools and monitor and do all the stuff that you need to do with the tools.
1: Right, right. If you wanted to have somebody else, for example, fulfill your merchandise. So you say you don't want to do mail order or whatever. There are ways to sort of export those files and, you know, send them over to to a company that would do something like that. But yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you're very serious about having a career, you do need to have your own website and Mm -hmm. you do need to try to sort of Build that fan base and push them there. Push them there to you all the time. You know, I mean, that's your email list. In a lot of ways, is like you know we joke about this, but like your retirement. Right. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? It's it's serious. Yeah. Those are the people that care. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you
0: can reach them whenever possible. I guess the part about this that's so interesting to me that I think is also the hard part mm-hmm. of this for for everything is mm-hmm. that you know it's like the whole reason I do this podcast is because I think bands need to understand that this is a business. Yes. And that you can't, I mean, you can, you can be like, I just do music because I love it. And right. Blah, and there blah, are blah. lots of people that do and, and God bless them. Fine. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But if you're serious about having this be your career, mm-hmm. if you personally are not the business person, you need somebody in your organization, in your retinue right. to be the person who handles business. Right. And in a lot of bands cases that's a label. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But in a lot of bands cases now it's a manager right. maybe who does that. Or even maybe right. you and have there's, a of, there's label services through right. management companies. Yeah. Or even maybe there's what the drummer right. in the band is really into. Right.
1: Yeah. But the the truth of the matter is you can't get away from needing all of those resources, needing right. all of those, you know, people on your team, whether, you know, and you have to figure out is a is manager best for me? Do I want someone taking 10 or 15 or 20 percent of everything? Or is my better with a label and I can do these other things on my own? You know, it's, right. it's a tricky conversation.
0: It is, but it's also worthwhile to point out that if you do need someone to do your business, you're going to end up paying somebody Absolutely. no matter what. So even if right. it's your own website and you hire your best friend right. to manage everything because you have to write right. songs, record, go yeah, on yeah, tour yeah. and be a band, you know, you need somebody who's right. actually doing that. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely true. I mean, the the best part of the tools is once they are set up, they are very easy to use. Mm. But there are people that will never want to do mail order. That is very true. Right, sure.
0: Or they get to a certain point and they're like, okay, I've they done can't. mail order enough. Yes. And yeah. now we're on the road all the time. Right. I talked to Dan Deacon last summer at Pitchfork and that was basically his point was he right. was like, I'm touring so much that I just can't put those like Lycra leggings yeah, in, yeah. The, in the mailbox <laughs> anymore. No, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and that's actually something that we've sort of kind of tried to explore as well It's like, well, if this is the service that people need, maybe we should offer it. But yeah. that would be
0: the for-profit right sort of side of things right so have you thought now at this point now that Jesse has moved on right and it's you have you thought about <laughs> creating a for-profit part of this
1: yeah we've thought about that for years in different ways one of which is the tools so the way that they work is we don't provide hosting we don't provide storage but we teach you how to sign up for your own amazon s3 account or google drive but both things are integrated with the platform, but Google Drive is useless if you're trying to sell something. <laughs> it's more like, do you want to send something to a friend? There right, you go. Right, right. And you don't want to pay anything and you don't want to go through this sign up process. But the Amazon S3 website, it's actually not that hard at all, but it's really foreign. Like right. you get to it and you're like, I ah, don't know what any of these words right. mean. This is really uncomfortable. So I think that's where we see probably the most difficult part of what we do is getting people past that stage. Right. You know, it's like once you have the tool built, it's basically just embeddable like a YouTube widget. It's a JavaScript embed, just like a YouTube video. Right. So like once you get past that part of things, it's really easy. So we have thought about, you know, perhaps doing some kind of easy storage one click yeah, thing, as well
0: as doing fulfillment. That's not a bad idea because then if you had that as an option, I mean, they could just you know purchase that part, right? And everything else is free. Yeah,
1: yeah, and we'll still we'll still always have the free version. Like exactly. if you wanted to take the hour, right. fifteen minutes, whatever it is to set up, right? I mean, and it's so dirt cheap. S three is so cheap. Yeah, like I don't think I've ever paid more than like three dollars a month for it. For Whoa. yeah, I mean. It's bigger when it's like run the jewels, have a new record, then we'll end up paying like $800. But you know what I mean? That's still nothing for, right. you know, half a million downloads
0: yeah. of wow. a large file. Definitely. But it is funny because, I mean, you've you've been in the label business a long time before you were at right. cash. You were at working at Kill Rockstars with me. Yes. Full disclosure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you know how, it, how hard it is sometimes to get artists to do anything. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, so the idea of having, I mean, we had a whole cup of tea with an artist who you know, wouldn't do something that took 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to, to everyone's detriment. Right. You know, so it's it's sometimes it's a shock to think like, oh, my God, you want them to like learn things in a
1: I know foreign language. Right. <laughs> and there's lots of people that do. There's lots of people that embrace it. And there's plenty of people that never will. But right. we do believe like conceptually that having these tools available and open and free does help everyone. And, you know, sort of across the board. It's like totally. if you have the option to
0: do something like this. Right it definitely sort of raises the stakes. Like people have to offer you more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. And let's talk about that because that I think is one of the coolest things about cash is that you guys are very aware of the corporate nature of the internet right now and how (laughs) mysteriously, you know, while while bands may not be willing to learn to do something to help themselves that takes an hour, they're super willing or many people, I mean, millions of people, just regular people Mm -hmm. are willing to give away their information for free to like Google basically. Right, right. And so talk about how scary that is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the you know, it's true that if you're doing something for free, it's not for free. You are giving them your data. It's never for free. You're giving up something of yours. And you know, it's like the reason why we are a nonprofit and the reason why we build open source tools is that it's really important to us that these tools can't be bought and sold. So what we see over and over again in the music tech space, there is this sort of it's almost like a gold rush or a Hanzi scheme, you know what I mean? there's just there's just these bizarre amounts of money that don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. You know it's like for example, Patreon took forty seven point one million dollars in funding from VC. So a VC investor is expecting at least 10, sometimes 20 times that in return. And so you think about that for just a split second, how are they ever going to pay that back?
0: Right.
1: You know, I mean, and, and why do they need $47.1 million to build one tool? Right. You know, we've built a platform of tools for less than a million dollars. I mean, granted, it's slow and hard, but huh? but you don't need that much money. Right. You right. know, there's this, you see people take all of this money and the only thing that they can do in return is either sell their company to a larger corporation or just continue to go deeper, deeper, deeper in debt until they just go out of business.
0: Right, right. It's an equation that doesn't seem to have a logical conclusion.
1: Right. Right. I mean, you know, you look at Airbnb, you look at Uber, you look at Netflix, none of these places are profitable. Spotify is $2 billion in debt. That's I mean, right. it's yeah. totally psychotic. Yeah. <laughs> and they just opened two floors of offices in the World Trade Center. I thought right? it was 11. <gasps> Wait, really? Yes, that's what I'll, I was told. Oh my gosh. 11 that's, floors. That's even in more Tracer. insane. I
0: know. I know. And I, I've had that conversation multiple times now with people right. where it's like, you know, you guys are super in debt and you're not, your business model is not working right. Why I get 11 floors in the World Trade Center. Right. Like
1: because they have to do an IPO, right? So they have to seem
0: yeah. really,
1: yeah, together, and that this is an inevitable sort of thing that'll happen. But nothing is inevitable about right. it, you right. know. So what we see over and over again is that these businesses they do go out of business, and it's like with the MySpace. You know, there was a artist from Seattle, Gabriel Teodorus, who was on my panel at Upstream, and he was talking about how he was one of the first adopters of MySpace music. And he had 80,000 fans just because he was like one of the first people that embraced it. And so he got all of this attention and, you know, people were coming to his shows and then woke up one day and it was gone. He had wow. no way to access those people
0: oh, at wow. all. It was yeah. just gone. Yeah.
1: You know, and we just see that happen over and over again. I mean, I'm sure you remember this when Topspin was going to save the music industry oh, yeah. and everybody was going to all of these you know, they were being flown to, like, Topspin seminars to learn how to use it. Right. You know, and Topspin is, is, for those of you who don't know what it is, it was a, sort of the for-profit version of what Cash does. It was, right. like, considered the direct-to-fan solution at the In the, the early time. days. I mean, this yes. is,
0: like, 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: yeah. they were bought by Beats, and then so Beats took, you know, it was just like this whole you, whittling down. And so it still exists, but there's nobody to update it, and there's no one to do any support at all.
0: Right. So. Right. And if that was your you if you put all your eggs in that basket, right. that's where you ended up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of people did. You know, I, I think Run the Jewels did their first record with topspin tools. Sure. And their manager was very excited to find us. <laughs> was like, oh wait. Yeah. You know, and, and also one of the benefits of doing things open source and doing technology in the open is that it's not a closed proprietary system. It's probably going to what we see over and over again when people build things in small sort of silos is that that technology goes obsolete. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's open and you have a community of people that are willing to help develop it, it it sort of lives. It's alive.
0: Yeah, right, which is so fascinating because, I mean, I'm not up on that tech side very Mm -hmm. much, but... I wasn't until I started doing this. (laughs) But it strikes me that there is less of that than there should be. Like, you know, people getting really excited about open source Mm -hmm. tech. Because I remember years ago, I mean, this is like so long ago, this is like 20 years ago, when I lived in New York, I was dating a guy who was doing open source programming and they were trying to come up with this like keyboard program mm-hmm. that would be open source and anyone could add to it. And so you could like create this keyboard that would make all these cool sounds oh, yeah. and people would add sounds right. into it. And like, it was this really, really cool idea. Mm-hmm. And then it just like went away or, and, I mean, I never know what right. what ended up happening with that. But, I, I've always, but that was like the moment that I knew about what open source mm-hmm. was about. And I, I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. If people are interested, this could really take off. Right. But I feel like people got really, really like complacent they're yes. like oh wait you mean i can push a button and amazon will just mail me right. something
1: right okay. right everyone loves convenience <laughs> despite what they're actually giving up
0: totally you know convenience and, and has sort won. Of, yes <laughs> i mean of. mass
1: consolidation on the web is a real problem yeah and it's only getting worse it's yeah. only getting more terrifying <laughs> yeah
0: was Gore in Rut by Deerhoof. After our show, check out the X-Man podcast. Host and former God Forbid guitarist Doc Coyle talks with musicians, creatives, and industry professionals who are at a crossroads trying to figure out what's next. Listen and find out more about the X-Man at www.doccoyle.net. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at krs. F-O-W. You're listening to the future of what? We're talking to Maggie Vale of Cash Music. Well, we talk about this on the show all the time that, you know, when or when I'm giving an interview and people ask me about Spotify and it's like, yeah, Spotify, you know, we thought it was terrible at the beginning because they were giving us this crappy per stream rate. And then mm-hmm. over the several years, we've found out that like, you know, the long tail makes up for it and we're making a ton of money. Right. And I'm like, but I could wake up tomorrow and Spotify could be gone. Yes. Like the notion that I am relying and keeping this whole business alive on streaming. Right. You can't. You just can't have that mindset. No, no. I mean, in this world,
1: yeah. It's it's. You know, I was talking to someone about this. It was Chandler Coyle at Berkeley. He does Mm, sort of online, yeah, Yeah. um, education. But he was, you know, he's like, it's not an either or economy. He said it the right way. You know, it's like you've you've got to kind of literally be everywhere. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, try to be pushing people to you as much as possible. And that's true for a label, and that's true for an artist. Right. You know, you want to own those relationships as much as you can.
0: Yes, exactly. And I, I mean, the email for album that Run the Jewels has done seems to be such a wise move because yes. then they're, they've solidified that relationship with those fans. Like, they have oh, yeah. those emails. Just like, that gesture alone, too. You know, yeah.
1: it's like, you know, it was... I mean, I th- I'm sure... You've had a on or talking about this. But yeah. you know, the the gesture of just like giving away the album to their longtime fans because they had both, you know, had long storied careers separately. And then when they got together saying, Hey, thank you for, you know, giving us both 38 years respectively yeah. in this industry. I guess not that long. They didn't start when they were born. But, you know, I mean, just thanks for these these careers. And here's something we're really excited about. We're gonna give it to you. Right. You know, just that gesture alone, I think set this precedent for the rest of their relationships with their fans. It's just, it just set it to a different level. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think there is some reality to the fact that digital is ostensibly free, Mm -hmm. you know? And so how do you treat it in a way where you don't cheapen it? Because I think that's really important. Music is, is a deeply important commodity in our society. Right. I I mean, commodity is a weird way to put it, but you know, it's, musicians and music lead social and political movements absolutely you know it's it's the one thing that has been consistent in throughout human history is that there is music in every recorded society you know it's a deeply important part of who we are and whatever this weird thing is about being alive you know it's (laughs) and and connection and communication between people and so you know i think we all get stuck in this like well is music worth anything I mean, I'm going to be the person that says, of course it is. Right. Of course. Um, But, you know, figuring out how to maneuver the world. I'm I'm on a tangent. But you know what I mean? (laughs) Like maneuver the, the world that we're in now where it's, there are kids that have never had to pay for music. Right. You know, and they don't understand the concept of why you would. Right. And so getting people to understand that, you know, well, no, we all need to make a living in the world. Right. And so if you want people to do this, you know, you're going to have to support them.
0: But you know what's interesting about that is that I feel like we have seen an evolution and I feel like over the same period that we've seen an evolution in Spotify, mm-hmm. you know, like the last 3 years, I would say. Yeah. I feel like we've also seen an evolution in that mindset because I think everybody got real hung up a few years ago on this notion that there's this generation of kids that've never had to pay for music. Right. And oh my god, we're all right. dying. We're all yeah, going down. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, but those kids are like going crazy with cassettes and they're buying vinyl That's and true. they're going to shows right, right. and they're buying t-shirts. And I feel like they do value music. I think when they came to music, they saw music as as the type of wallpaper that currently all entertainment is presented as. Right. You just open your computer and there's just everything. Yeah. And so they weren't thinking about it in this very like special positioned way that we, right. we do because we right. grew up with it like right. that. You know? Yeah, but I mean, now, we had to find things. We exactly. We had to search for you things. You had to go to a record store and right. paw through bins, right. and, and you had an older brother or an older sister right. who was saying, you have to listen to this, or and you, you have read to listen to that. books, and you're
1: like, I don't right. know who that is. I need to find them. Right.
0: Yeah. Or you got the enemy or the right. Melody Maker or something to that. Oh, effect. yeah. We totally used to get that. Yeah. yeah, and that was, like, really exciting, and then you'd, like, seek these things mm-hmm. out. But I think that because it was just presented in this, like, plump, here's everything— right. You know, people interacted with it differently. But Mm -hmm. I feel like those people, as they get older, they're showing that they do find value in music, you know, and that to some extent having it as wallpaper is a good thing for a streaming economy because people can just put Spotify on at work Mm -hmm. or at school or in their car or whatever, and they just listen to it all day. So it does have value. It's just, it's not the same value that we, you know, it's like I yeah, feel like yeah, we yeah. have to be careful and not get trapped in the. Oh, in totally. My day. Yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> you know, yes.
0: Which I'm not saying you were doing. I'm just no, saying no, no, it's no, like no. I do that. I, I right. found myself doing that where I'm like, when I was a kid, it was my yeah, yeah, good yeah. way. And right. we had to do, we had to walk 20 miles in the snow. Right. And this
1: way, you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> this way, literally anyone, anywhere can find out
0: about. Almost everything. Right. Exactly. And that's a completely exciting reality. Yes. And something that I did recently, I did an analysis of our Spotify, like what's getting played on mm-hmm. Spotify, because I thought for sure it would be the big stuff, the Elliott Smith, Decemberists, right. Gossip, whatever. Yeah. And that the smaller stuff would be getting less plays. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that proportionally it was really similar. Like there's just as many people playing Hella right. or The Advantage or... I don't know, something, you know, got in a silo. Yeah. It's not the same number of plays, right. but it's the same. It's like a whole bunch of people are also listening to that stuff. And that I thought was really heartening because I think that's the power of streaming right. because it's so easy. You're just like, oh, what's that? Click. Yeah. What's that? Right. You know, and so just this discovery process, I think because if everything's out there, people are actually listening, which is amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then this, how do we take it one step further? Yeah, you know, is, is how do you sort of pull them in? And then, you know, the sort of the beauty of the Internet is we're all kind of obsessed with the scaling thing, right, because of, you know, the streaming economy. It's it's always been like, well, if Spotify gets to this million mini users, it'll be, you know, profitable or whatever. But I think it's important to also remember that with direct tools, you don't need a lot of people. You just need to find your core heart, you know, like your fans, the people totally. that will take care of you. It's like yes. the first tool was that we built was with Kristen Hirsch of Throwing Mises and Anita Sparks of L7. They came to Jesse, the founder at the time, it was like 10 years ago actually, and said, you know, we want to do something that's like a farm share or a CSA, but with our fans and with music. And so Jesse built what is essentially now the first sort of subscription style Patreon thing. And Kristen Hirsch has uses that, used that for the last 10 years. She makes a very decent living. Like her fans, they give her money, I think it's quarterly. And she doesn't give them anything special other than just, like, a guest list. You know, they get all access to the music. But she's done that for 10 years. She makes a good salary. And she's just been able to create on her own terms, you know.
0: Right. And that's ideal. And I feel like that's funny. She's she was a trailblazer in that, but that's where we're at now. You know, it's like I keep saying we're we're in an economy now in twenty seventeen where where you're gonna do best if you super serve the super fan. Right, right. And she's got her
1: like three hundred people, but they're the people that take care of her.
0: Exactly. You know,
1: I mean I think it's might it might be more like five hundred, but it's still like Yeah, that's all you need. You don't need millions.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we found out in the in the label business, too. It's like if you can sell a thousand records to a thousand devoted fans, you're fine.
1: Yeah, I actually use the example of working in an independent label when I talk about cash a lot because it's like, well, no, you you can do things outside of the corporate structures, do them directly and do them well Mm -hmm. and have careers. Yeah, there's there's a lot of working artists that came out of the sort of indie label world that I grew up in you know and they're 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 still around still making money
0: yeah it's true and you know people who can be creative today can make even more I mean there's tons of opportunity if you if you don't want to go the straight label route if you don't want to just put out an album every two years and do the regular old album cycle Mm -hmm. tour right album cycle tour you know and you want to be creative and you want to be out there like you know we're gonna do a video every six weeks and you guys are going to pay for it and you're going to and we're going to do this and this and this, you know, there now you can actually do that. Right. And that's kind of an exciting thing. Yeah, absolutely. Thing.
1: In fact, this kind of takes this into, so I talked a lot about the tools, but we also have moved more into doing some education around both how to use the tools, best practices for them, but also just about the industry in general and about the tech industry. Yeah, You know, we want to talk about how do these things work. I really actually, we've been talking about starting a, you know, a series of, horrible mistakes that were made
0: because (laughs) you know what
1: (laughs) people learn from hearing those stories you know people remember oh that's why I need to sign up for a PRO because we do also have like lots of like this is how trademark works this is how you know like there's one this week about how to read a label contract like what are the important points that you need to understand when do you need a lawyer yes you know that sort of stuff but you know those things are a little bit dry and they aren't going to be like shared and passed around, but I really want to do it in a fun way <laughs> where it's like,
0: I know, I know. Well, that's why I do this podcast yeah, exactly. i trying to make this entertaining, but <laughs> it's important. It's, <laughs> but important. it's important information that people need to know. Yeah. You don't want it to be totally dry. Totally. And that's a really good point because I think that like the label contract, like how to read a label mm-hmm. contract, that is so c- critical because people often think labels are trying to screw you. Right. right? So they're hiding stuff in the, right. in no, the it's contract. all,
1: it's all about transparency.
0: Exactly. And yeah. I'm like I can't tell you how much I desperately want you to understand everything right. that you're agreeing to,
1: right? Well, the Kill Rockstars contract is like 3 pages anyways. There's not a lot in there. Yeah, it's 4 and the 4th is the signature right. page. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I was it's I was looking short. over this article where it was it's written by a lawyer, of course, an entertainment lawyer. And I was looking over it and I was like, "Oh, there's these clauses I've never even seen before
0: because I only oh, worked I at Kill Rock I know, right? I have seen some yeah. label contracts I was in like, the last few years. They do that? Right. And I'm like, "Wow. What? You can do that? Right. That's a thing?" <laughs> That's crazy. Well, I always talk about how I was the manager of the gossip when right. they got signed to Sony. And it was an 88-page contract. No,
1: I remember that. Yeah. I, I
0: mean, it's I've terrifying. never seen anything like it. There was stuff in there that I was just like, you know, and your house and your children right. and your children's
1: right. children. Yeah. <laughs> it was just terrifying. References to breakage, which is something that doesn't even exist anymore. You know, it's like, oh, that, yeah, that was like ancient technology. Like oh, yeah. All sorts
0: of crazy stuff was in there. It was nuts. It was nuts. It's so nuts. But you know, it's also a relic of another time, mostly. Right.
1: Um, it's funny to learn that so many of those, so many reasons for certain things and contracts were all Frank Zappa's fault. <laughs>
0: ah. Oh my God. <laughs> Tell. It's like,
1: no, just like the concept of like you have to release an album within like, you can't release another one within a certain time period oh, right, to fulfill right, right. your contract. Like all sorts yes. of things like that he was trying to get around. Yes. So he'd just be like, here's my five records. Yeah. I'm out of my Here contract. You go. I'm done. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. like, there were like three different things like that. that are just major parts of contracts now that were initially Frank's. episode. Oh, I love that. That's that's
0: (laughs) a great story. I didn't know that.
1: (laughs) I was reading, it was like, I've I've read a bunch of books now, like, you know, how to understand the music industry or whatever. It was one of those books. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. So now how many people are working at Cash?
1: (sighs) Right now, it's just me and there's a front end developer, like designer, and then we have a part time developer. So it's just two and a half people right now. It's really lean. Yeah. The truth of the matter is it's a really difficult time to be a nonprofit. Yeah. It's a really difficult time to be a nonprofit that's not focused on things like the ACLU or Planned Parenthood. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to be doing an arts-facing nonprofit that's always been a little bit difficult to understand. Right. You know, it's like, like, I, I do point out the, the important point of since musicians leave movements, we need more voices than ever. And we need people who aren't just independently wealthy playing music. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's going to take some time, I think, to get through. <laughs> it's yeah. just harder than it's been.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, I think every nonprofit is facing that. It's true. Like everyone
1: I've spoken to is, is having a hard time.
0: I mean, that is one of those things where it's like, I think I just don't have the personality to understand this. But like what you're saying about tech startups... Where it's somebody with an idea about something that might work mm-hmm. can get millions right. in funding. And right. s- people like us who are like, here's an awesome idea right. that's completely helping real people right. and we're a nonprofit right. can't get funded. No,
1: because there's <laughs> no investment, because there's no return. there's no
0: return, exactly. Yeah. Even
1: though for most of these people, there is no return either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ultimately,
0: right. <laughs> right. But I guess they a, have to put that money somewhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so they it's just give it to a nonprofit. difficult <laughs> to sort of convince. Yeah. So we actually. You know, we did create that subscription tool 10 years ago, but we didn't put it into the platform, the one that Kristen uses, until now.
2: We're working Mm. on it
1: right now. Um, And we've launched something called the Cash Music Family, which is, you know, basically a way that people can support the organization directly. We have stated publicly and we will over and over again that the tools will never cost anybody any money ever. Mm -hmm. But there is just this is just sort of a voluntary way to support the organization for it's like, you know, as low as $5 a month, $60 a year. You can join and get all sorts of fun samplers from labels like Kill Rock Stars. It's true. And Secretly Canadian and Saddle Creek and Polyvinyl and Sub Pop and Hardly Art. And then also there's like a bunch of artist curators. So it's Nico Case and Colin Malloy and Corin Tucker and Janet Weiss. Just kind of talking about, you know, what they're listening to and watching and reading and excited about. Just to create more of a community. Yeah. You know? And then those people also get a vote in what we're building and covering on Watt, which is our blog. Great. So we're going to we're trying that. And actually it doesn't have to scale to be very big to support us period. You know, it's like if we got 2500 members at that level, we'd be good. Wow. Which, you know, I and mean, we're struggling to get there, but it's totally possible.
0: cashmusic.org. Yeah. Is the, is the website. Okay, yes. well, everybody go and become a member of the Cash Music family. <laughs> it's a good organization, you should support it. Maggie Vale is the executive director of Cash Music. Maggie, thanks so much for being with me today on the future of what. Thank you.
2: When you have Skip the waves, single bay
0: That was Wrong Time Capsule by Deerhoof. You're listening to The Future of What. If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Braunohler wanted a face towel with his face on it. Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to The Future of What. We're talking to Kristen Hirsch. Kristen, welcome to The Future of What. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you were involved with Cash Music early on in the beginning. Is that correct? You you helped get it started.
2: Right. We could see the need for independent musicians to become self-sustaining entities as the corporations began to fall. Not that corporations shouldn't be suffering. I thought that was a good, good thing that was <laughs> happening. But what happens when even something like a business begins to fail is that it, it flails around. There's this panic stage in the entertainment industry, which is still what music is considered, <laughs> even if it's not entertaining music like mine. They begin to get more and more shallow. You know, they start appealing to the lowest common denominator, which is something they did anyway. But it seems as if the first soldiers to fall are the best ones. They're the most dispensable when you're trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator.
0: These corporations you're talking about are labels, right? Major labels. That's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was on Warner Brothers records. I was signed as a key member. And so I was able to extricate myself and my band all at the same time by offering Warner Brothers my first solo record in exchange for my freedom. And so we got out <laughs> right before the giants began to topple. We could see the those good soldiers falling ahead of us. Right. I see what you're saying.
0: Yeah. And so Cash was an idea of this guy, Jesse Von Doom, and... He thought we can make this work for artists, have artists be able to get their stuff out there into the world without using a label. Is that sort of the basic idea?
2: Yeah, and my then husband, who was my manager, Billy O'Connell, was trying to solve this problem of the the low-hanging fruits just falling to the ground. You can survive in the corner of a business making... Say an organic product that's bumpy and strange and high end only if the business allows for it. And there's nothing wrong with a music business, but the recording industry was no longer allowing for that kind of quality to even be marketed to to anyone, even people who were looking for it. There's so much noise. So cash began really is very homegrown way for us to feed our children. My music had always supported the family, and we could see an end to that. As, as willing as I was to put out five records a year and do a few hundred shows, it was no longer possible. So we wrote a sort of manifesto to our listeners and said, this is what we're about, this is what we want to try, would you like to be our record company? And I found it humbling I didn't want to ask for help. Not because of pride, but because I felt it was it's enough to just like get out of work and miss dinner and spend ten bucks on a beer to go to a show, you know, buy records. That seems like over and above to me. <laughs> and asking them to do more than that seemed presumptuous. But they could see that their soundtracks were going to end. That's how they put it. Mm, yeah. And so it's important to some people. It, their life is a movie without a soundtrack. Right. And some people have had their lives changed, if not saved, by music. So they are the ones who make it possible. And I don't call them fans for that reason. Cause I've met some fans, and they don't seem like listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they could be fans of anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're just fans. But a listener is a discerning player in this equation that happens between musicians and the people who want soundtracks.
0: That's fascinating. It makes me think of so many things because I'm thinking now, did that change anything about how you started writing songs once you realized that there was this group of people out there who
2: were very strongly affected by the music you write? That is such a good question. And initially, I would have said absolutely not. Nothing can change a song. I can't change a song. It's not my place to do so. And yet, it definitely did. There's always an ear to the marketability of your product when you're on a major label, meaning dumb it down. <laughs> there, there's no other way to put it. That's what they want. They want you to dumb it down. And it's not subtle. You know, I, Everybody knows that marketing story. You know, we're all still really into dumb and hot. Which isn't true. It simply is not true. <laughs> the people who would listen to this music are not into dumb and hot. In fact, if I seemed dumb and hot, they wouldn't listen to the music. They wouldn't give it a chance. So it's I am no longer the story, and that dumb it down is no longer the story because they aren't trying to appeal to bad radio, and that, that's it. So suddenly you realize that ear is just gone, that here god It left mm-hmm. the building, and the song can do whatever it wants. Finally, and I was—I'm definitely considered a musician that did not play that game, and—and and yet I feel like there is some censorship going down in the studio, and I think, oh, that's too weird, or that's going to hurt somebody's feelings, and. And now that I'm in the studio with Throwing Muses here in L.A., and what's so strange about this record is that it's not very strange, which I find bewilderingly strange. (laughs) (laughs) And all that means to me is that Cash has allowed the music to do absolutely anything that it wants to, including not confuse me. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So your involvement with cash is real interesting because you guys were so early to the table. You guys were basically an early subscription service and an early crowdfunding sort of situation, which now, of course, is huge. But you guys did this like 10 years ago. So that's, I mean, you're trailblazers.
2: When I started my van 50-Foot Wave, it was with this idea that we could be a cooperative. I had a girl tell me she was going to commit suicide in 24 hours. And so, of course, I spent the next 24 hours trying to keep her alive. And she said, you already did that because I I saw a show through the window. I couldn't afford to go. And then I, I couldn't keep that girl alive. She said that that's as long as she wanted to live. And I had done my part. But this idea that some people who need music can't afford it, even if it's just one person it's a reason enough to give music away. So 50 foot wave was listener supported so that we could give music away. That seemed like an elegant equation, not to ask that our rent be paid, but that our studio costs be covered and our engineers keep working and we keep working. And then the music gets heard. I mean, it, it sounds a little lame, but, If it could help one person, then you have to do it.
0: Yeah. No, I definitely hear you on that. With that in mind, what's your view on streaming?
2: I've always been pro letting the musicians starve. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, when you pick up an instrument, you think anybody's going to want to hear you play it? Like, why? (laughs) And it doesn't make me real popular with people who try to defend my right to exist. (laughs) But I'm not sure... We have any choice but to keep passing the hat, which is what musicians have always done. Mm. Yeah, and otherwise you're you're playing that game. That game is failing, and it was wrong to begin with. There should never have been a cult of a rock star. That's so deeply wrong, and the repercussions are even worse.
0: Oh well. I couldn't agree with you more. My record label happens to be called Kill Rock Stars.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, there's nothing wrong with the music business. Some people don't realize we have always been in this sub music business. There is good marketing, there's good radio, good record stores, good record labels, good managers, photographers, videographers. We have a whole world that can be called a business because it's self sustaining. It's just that. Uh, the recording industry that played along with MTV and Top 40 is like, you would think that would just be a, a memory of something that happened in the 50s. And yet I had to live through it and it's still going on somewhere. <laughs> we just don't care about it.
0: <laughs> well, and a lot of people do. And a lot of people have a lot of money tied up in it, which is always surprising to me that that is still so lucrative. But it is, you know, it's, it's there. It exists.
2: Yeah, so sort does of junk food and <laughs> Twinkies. apples grow on trees, you know. <laughs> it's sort of like, I mean, what can you feel for someone who is engaged that way on planet Earth except pity? <laughs> just like, oh, <laughs> like, that's so stupid. <laughs> Money? Really? Oh, that's funny. Hey, enough. I get that. We gotta have enough, but too much is just a joke. Wow. Especially if it's kind of rationalized sucking the way they do. It's like using music to suck. That's just televangelism. (laughs) I like that. I'm going to use that line. Just televangelism. It's good. (laughs)
0: That was Giga Dance by Deerhoof. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Kristen Hirsch. So now Cash, we're doing a profile on Cash today, so so I just want to ask you quickly, It's doing different stuff today than what you guys, I mean, you guys sort of did something very specific with it. You have this sort of subscriber model that you created 10 years ago that you've used to run your business, but that hasn't been exactly what Cash has followed up on. Is that correct?
2: That's right. And I'm not the person to interview about what Cash has become. They'd be more articulate than I am about that. Right. But you still use their software in
0: running your business?
2: I am using Cash software to run the Strange Angels subscription program.
0: Cool, and that's what where all your that's where all your subscribers come through. Your listeners, yes, cool. yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing that they're doing that makes me excited, but is also really hard because it's like you said, you know, there are are these people out there who are happy to make money, you know, selling whatever music that's not the greatest music. You know, but there's also these big corporations who've moved in in the last 10 years, like Google and telecoms and all these huge companies who are really interested in purchasing people's data and and using that data for their own purposes. And the way the Internet has gone, people have been just more than happy to hand that information over without really a backwards glance. And I think what Cash is doing that's special is they're saying, hey, guys, remember, this info is yours. This is your you own it. You know, don't just give it away.
2: Yeah, which they always had to do with content in the past. It's just different kind of information. And when you're you're talking about finding your people, it does matter. It's not just a Rolodex to be greedy about. In this world, if you're trying to manifest your heavens and your hells, and there's somebody who needs that, needs you to do that, then that's precious information. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. And yeah, we should all take a
0: we should all learn that lesson well. And I think a lot of us <laughs> don't because we just are like, oh yeah, Facebook, yay, I'm going to give you all my information.
2: The end, you know. Yeah. Not thinking it through. There's Not a whole lot is sacred unless we make it so. it's mm, a
0: good point. So you're doing a new Throwing Muses album. Yeah.
2: We just <laughs> put exciting. one out a couple of years ago and we did a world tour that was probably our biggest ever, which is goofy. <laughs> but we published... Records as books, yeah. <laughs> because I, I published a book kind of by accident. <laughs> I have to write a book, and the only book I'd ever written was my teenage diary. So it, I sort of wrote it so that you could follow along <laughs> like a nonfiction novel. Wow. And, I, well, it seemed like a bad idea, but again, if it could help somebody, you have to do it. And Penguin put it out, and I realized that whereas I had thought, oh, literature is highbrow. <laughs> it's not unless you make it so. Like I like the book very much, but there's a whole other world that is basically top 40 <laughs> in literature as well. So I thought, all right, this is another sacred that, that you have to be precious about. And I started writing books that went along with my CDs you just stick the CD in the the book and suddenly it's not just a piece of plastic anymore. There are images and stories and it helps this idea that it comes from a real world. If you don't speak music fluently, then stories and images and colors and somebody kind of talking you through can help you help walk you into that world and get your other senses involved. I'm a synesthetic. I have... Synesthesia, so I see gorgeous colors, and it's it's very easy for me to step into that world and say, ah, it's, it's <laughs> this is what's going on. It reminds me of this stupid story, and it's this color, and it's it serves us as a band that's always, that grew up on an island, and has always kind of lived on an island, or a little cultish that way, to be releasing records like this, just, just to see helping people into that world, particularly as it's all dissipating in the the outside world. It helps to maintain your focus.
0: Yeah, I can imagine
2: for you and hopefully for your listeners as well. Yeah, I hope. I hope it's not dancing about architecture. I, I kind of said, <laughs> you know, I can't I can't do that. It was bad enough that I wrote the one book, which I've just, I walked past in uh, Barnes and & Noble and it was in the, let me get this right, New Paranormal Teen Romance section. What? <laughs> Did you even know there was such a genre? <laughs> no. No this, this is nonfiction. This is my life. <laughs> this is an old paranormal teen romance. <laughs> New paranormal teen romance thinking, <laughs> romance. Wow. <laughs> you know, so initially I had said like, No, 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 you can't do that. Music has to music is more sacred than that. You can't get it in its way. And then I put the last Muses record on and thought, Oh no, I can do this because you're supposed to think of it as a gift. You publish anything and you think, oh, you just like put it on the table and walk away. That's that's for you now. And that way there's no ego involvement. There's no attachment of any kind it's just, like take it or leave it. <laughs> but it's supposed to be a kindness. And so when we publish them as books, it's just this sort of kindness next to the music. It helps when you're screaming and yelling at them, you know, <laughs> which I tend to do. Yeah, And you feel that same way about songs, right? That, you,
0: that they're a gift
2: that you just leave on a table and walk away. Yeah, we always tried to live by that. I and mean, I was kind of ashamed of what I did. It was so honest that I found it kind of embarrassing. And I stand by that. I think it's okay to work in shame. <laughs> At least it's not working in ego. You know,
0: I don't know. Brene Brown would probably have something to say about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh We're gosh. just very goofy people. So the the goofiness is part of what makes you able to say like look I'm not going to dress this up it is what it is and and being in it together is the best we can do
0: (laughs) those are words to live by for sure Kristen (laughs) Hirsch it's been such a pleasure to talk to you (laughs) thanks for being with us today on the future of what
2: thank you sweetheart
0: (laughs) take care and that's our show the music we played today was used by permission you heard Deerhoof, and of course our theme song mind your own business by the delta five Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Saban, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next Can week. I
1: have a taste of your ice
0: cream?